Welcome to Heard About, the podcast about the biggest moments in communications with the people who were behind them. I'm your host, Winston Chang. This is our fourth and final MLB Opening Day series episode. And like all the other episodes in this series, it's in English. Which would usually go without saying, but in a league like the MLB, where 28% of players were born outside of the U.S., it isn't really... You've got players talking in Japanese. So, I mean, we're not fighting for the playoffs right now, but we still think it's important to win every game and try to carry it over good vibes for the next season. So I think it's really important for us to keep on winning. Korean. Toronto is always a good team. He knows that there's a lot of young players that are here that are really talented. And he also made a lot of acquisitions this year related to pitching. And he knows that uh, this could be a good team. And of course, Spanish. Estamos muy contentos que él hizo el esfuerzo para jugar así con ese dolor que tiene en donde le pegaron la bola en San Luis y estamos aceptando lo que nos siga ayudando porque gracias a él estamos haciendo buen trabajo y gracias a todos los compañeros que están dando lo mejor como Ite también que está lesionado y, y todos estamos dando lo mejor para así pasar la World Series este año. He was happy that uh, Hanley was able to find the strength to play after getting hit so hard um, over there in St. Louis, uh, and that really it, everybody rallied around him and tried to do the best that they can. And other teammates were hurt as well. Ethier, he mentioned, um, you know, also needs to get you know, some some credit as well for playing hurt. And everyone's just trying to do the best that they can to to get to the World Series. Latin America is particularly well represented in the league. This season, 98 out of the 906 players on the league's rosters are from the Dominican Republic, 64 are from Venezuela, and 19 are from Cuba. Which is why, in 2016, the league mandated that every single one of its 30 teams have at least two full-time Spanish translators on staff. And the advantage that I had with languages, you know, for me at that point I realized all the, all the doors that languages have opened to me. And, you know, players have really come to depend on these translators. Previously, you know, Pitcher, Jeffrey Rodriguez from the Dominican Republic. You got some assistance to Cesar Hernandez, to Andres Jimenez, um, uh, um, obviously Jose Ramirez. And it really helps when the translator used to be a pro baseball player himself. I think that's, uh, that's thing this has been challenging for teams to find, um, you know, translators, because always there are plenty of people who are properly, like, plenty of skills and, and trained the best way to be professional translators. But when, is that, when it comes down to baseball, like when it comes down to dealing with players, that, you know, maybe the language skills, even in Spanish, is not, they're not the best. Um, you, it's a process to understand and, 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 and put it into context. So today, we're talking to Augustine Rivero. Team Spanish translator for the Cleveland Indians. We'll 
We'll chat with Augustine about growing up in Venezuela, playing baseball at the age of five, and making it to the Yankees minor league team in the Dominican Republic. He'll then tell us about what he does as the team's translator and how it's much more than the Q&A you see at press conferences. But when it comes to those, Augustine will also have some advice for sports reporters out there on how to ask athletes better questions. So, let's begin. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where you grew up and where you first got exposed to baseball? Uh, I'm from originally from Venezuela, from a town called San Cristobal. Um, historically not known for baseball players, but that was something, you know, it was my passion since early on. And it was my mom, actually, that exposed me to the game. Um, the first recollection I have is that she took me to a national tournament that was being held um, in, in my city, which was really new at the time. Normally my town is an hour and a half away from Colombia in the southern westmost point of the country. So we have a lot of influence from Colombia. And one of these influences is the sport, right? Um, soccer is the, the big sport in my, my state, in my town. So obviously being a national championship of baseball was very new. So I think that's what the reason that called the attention of my mom. And she took me to the game. Little she knew I was going to fall in love with seeing the guys, you know, running and sliding on the grass and the field and, and that get the ball starting. Then, she found out in that same stadium that, you know, the practices for Little League and she took me like two weeks later and it was, you know, love at first sight. I was five years old and I think I haven't stopped since being around or involved with baseball. So so when it came the time to to get exposed and to get, you know, scouted by the international scouts, I was 16. Um, they started scouting me. After eight months of training, I was offered um, a contract by the New York Yankees, one of the scouts for the international um scouting process so yeah I was 17 at the time and yeah it was a big change you went from from being a guy from a small town in the south of Venezuela playing for the minor league system of the Yankees in the Dominican Republic um, I signed up as an outfielder switch hitter and spent three years in the minor leagues there with the Yankees and the year that I was intended to travel um, for standard spring training um, I suffered like a big injury in my shoulder um, I was a switch hitter, so that kind of put a lot of pressure when it came down to uh, rotating and using my shoulders because the surgery and the rehab time was going to be something more than a year. So it, my, my whole thinking at the moment was, okay, what do I do now? So I gave myself some time to, to think about what I wanted to do, and I came for a year here to the States to you know explore, to see, to get an idea of what I wanted to do with my life. Um, and then that led me to go to Europe for two years. I was in Spain, um, obviously in a way connected through baseball, and I was able to play in the professional league of Spain for two years, and and that's when I got my first crack at, you know, the, the the experience of working with an American organization, not as a player but as a coach. I was helping coach the Atlanta Braves. They had a summer camp uh, for players for Europe, and I was working with the outfielders in that time. And that's the moment when I felt that I realized that well, I love doing this. I love now that I'm not able to play at that level at least helping guys, you know, how to understand the game and, and see what it's like to play at the professional level. Um, when I was in Europe, I, I, you know, for a little bit, I started to learn German and see how many more things I learned and what type of, like, environments and networks I was um, able to access. So I felt like at the time when it was a, the World Cup in Brazil in 2014, I just started exploring, like, what if I work in the World Cup? I want to learn Portuguese. Um you know, it's a, it's a language that is similar to Spanish, but regardless, you need to be really good at 
understanding it. Otherwise, you're going to make a lot of mistakes if you think it's just like, oh, yeah, I understand a little bit. Like, I can talk now. I learned early on that you needed to really, you know, pr get professional and learn the proper way. So that's what I decided to do. I just jumped myself in to apply to different jobs in the World Cup, and I was end up getting it for my summer. I had a, a summer internship aligned in Goldman Sachs, and I rejected that and <laughs> decided to go to to work at the World Cup. Um, let's say that my family wasn't really happy <laughs> when I made the decision. But you know, like one of the best things I learned early on from baseball is the the joy of working in something that you really like. So. Um, it was important for me to do what I wanted to do at the time that was, you know, get more exposure to the sports and the sport industry and especially learning a third language at that point. And it was a great experience um, being in Brazil, um, getting to learn the whole process. It's just like, yeah, this is what I want to do in my life. I want to work in sports. And that way I completed my studies and, and, and I, you know, 2015, I finished my studies in economics and, you know, I was, I was in New York, um, and that's when I started to get in, apply and looking for jobs in baseball. So in 2016, the MLB mandated that every one of its 30 teams have at least two full-time Spanish translators. And so now you're one of those Spanish translators for the Cleveland Indians. How did you get that job? Like, how did you even apply for um, for that position with the Indians? Yeah, um, it's, it's great. It's great you ask. You know, I was obviously I was really fortunate to be, you know, right time, right place. And at the time I was living in New York and they flew me to from New York to Arizona to do the in-person interview. At that point, I, we had interviewed twice over, you know, some calls and they took me like a whole day. What, what is like a day in, in, in spring training? They flew me like around March something. Um, And I talked to a lot of people. I, I think I talked to 13 people in a matter of from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. It was a really upbeat uh, system because obviously that shows the reality of a day working in, you know, in, in baseball. Like you have long hours, you have intense hours. But, you know, if you really enjoy what you're doing, you, you get a lot of, like, uh, satisfaction from being around. So, yeah, once I they, they flew me over, I was like, well, I really hope they, they offer an invitation because this is something I really want to do. And fortunately, a week later, um, I was working in New York and they called me like at 5 p.m. And they told me, we need you. We would love to have you. Uh, can you start tomorrow? <laughs> and I remember clearly it was a Wednesday because obviously it's, it's a requirement for MLB and the season had started that week. And I told him, yeah, I'd love to join you guys, but I cannot do it tomorrow. Give me at least four days that I can, you know, vacate my apartment in New York, say goodbye to my friends and and leave. And, and that's how I ended, what ended up happening. I ended up joining the team on April 9, Monday. And I started when the team was supposed to do the longest road trip of the year. So we started on a nine-day trip around Kansas City, Detroit, and Seattle. So that was a great way to to get started. Yeah. And that was in 2019, right? Correct. Wow. Yeah, they, they really started you right away. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you mentioned long days. Uh, when fans think of MLB translators, I think a lot of us think, well, I mean, press conferences, of course, you're translating for, for players, for the media, but um, we probably don't see a lot of what happens besides that day to day. So just maybe really quickly, can you just tell us uh, what what your day to day responsibilities are? What does the life of an MLB translator look like? What are you doing? I think it, it changes a lot based on, on each organization. Uh, I think there's a positive thing that each organization has been given the freedom to you know, it's been mandated to have a translator, but also 
uh, finding more use, whatever works for the organization. A lot of my colleagues, some of them are more related to the PR area. Some of them work in the radio station of the organization. Some of them help even with data and analytics. In my case, they wanted to leverage a little bit my experience in baseball, right? But also in everything with logistics and, and organizations and, and, and everything. The way how my experience, the way how I describe it is make sure to help with anything possible to make it easier for them to win a World Series. And you, from that, you start working backwards and say, okay, yeah, the exposure or the visual part that any translator has is yeah, maybe in the interviews or the media, but the players, you know, is it very kind of like a drastic change um, to come to a different country, perform at a high level in a high competitive league for almost eight months of the year. It's not a matter that they're going to come and live in a hotel. No, they have to have some sense of normalcy. And that means, you know, getting a house, uh, being comfortable, having their cars and having their families. Um, so obviously that makes a big uh, array of things that you need to do added to the things that are part of the organization, right? When we need to share any information, any documentation, um, the work that we do with the trainer, with the medical staff, um, with the medic, with the PR group, with the communications part. Um, and in my particular case, also with the coaches and on the field, I'm lucky to be also involved in a lot of, in a lot of the on-field operations. And particularly as a team, and our infield is very like Latino based, uh, third baseman, shortstop, second base. And last year, we had uh, there were times of the whole the full infield was uh, of Latino descent. This year it has it has changed a little bit, but still the big majority of the Latin group is are players from Latin America. So, yeah, there's a the day to days are long days, um, but they're really always different. There's not a, a day that is the same uh, in the life of a translator. Yeah. Do you have um, a particular story, an example by any chance of like something that you helped a player with besides um, just the, the day-to-day translation with the media? One of the most memorable things has been assisting one of our players with the, with the birth of, of her first daughter. Mm. So, you know, being in that process of, of you know going to the clinic and, and assisting him and his wife and all the process, I didn't have any family around, so in a way, I automatically was the first person to get all the information and translate them and help them in the system, because that's the other part. I mean, at this point, if, if a player comes to the major leagues, at least they've been three, four years in the U.S. I'm not saying like yeah, they understand the language entirely, but they can understand a couple of things or get around, get by at least. But when it comes out to, you know, getting the papers and the, your birth certificate and the, all the information for your new baby in the hospital, that can be overwhelming, even if you knew the language, right? Yeah, yeah. Which uh, which player? Can you tell us? Yeah, it was, it was Jose Ramirez in 2019. He he had his uh, baby girl born. Uh, and, and again, this is the human side of things, you know, like these guys come here at an early age and when they're able to develop for a long time, uh, they have life in the meantime, right? When they play baseball and they entertain everybody with their uh, great skills, they also have a life. How do you feel like having a translator impacts that relationship with coaches? Maybe, you know, um, it uh, it makes the relationship better because they're they're calmer you know maybe you don't have fights between coaches and players as much because there's a translator there i don't know i'm just kind of making it up but but how do you feel like having a translator there impacts the player coach relationship 
Um, I think the it, it benefits a relationship, right? Like, um, you know that in a way, I feel like a, I'm not a getaway, making sure that protecting for something that is said or not. Like, my job is also saying what's happening, the real emotions and and and, and sensations at the time. And we all been at times where we wish, you know, we say, I wish I hadn't said that. So there are times that, you know, I serve as a little uh, buffer in a way to, okay, think about it. If that's what you want to say, by all means. But but also, you know, coaches have a direct line. The coaches, one way or the other, they can talk. You know, in a way, all of them talk baseball language in a way. They understand, they communicate. But it's also a good way for coaches to find, they use me as a resource. Like, what do you think is he going through? What do you think is he thinking this? Like, um, I think that the trust part is huge. Um, and being around in the field and, and when the day-to-day and the travels, that, that kind of builds up that trust that otherwise wouldn't be present and otherwise be just kind of like a more transactional um, interaction. You know, the translator only comes when I need him to talk to me in front of the media and not, you know, when we are on the plane, when we are on the field, when we are in the training room. So I think all of us enjoying that big source of trust makes uh, makes it a lot easier. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's talk about media interviews since you, you mentioned those. Um, uh, how do you feel like reporters adjust when they're interviewing players with translators? Like, do you, do you notice different kinds of questions coming? Um, and do you notice different kinds of answers being given in those kinds of interviews? I think it's a, it's a combination of, of the understanding of the language and also the stance of the, of the responses and the answers that players give, uh, regardless, no matter how, how fluid the conversation is with a translator, um, it has more of a, of a Q and a, uh, structure, right? Like I give you a frame, the, the limited question and you get a limited answer. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you have a, a native speaker, it becomes more of a conversation, right? Like these guys before COVID, they used to spend a lot of time in the clubhouse and, and, you know, make it sort of a conversation and, and bring that informality to it, right? When it comes down after post-game interview that you get eight, nine people at the same time, they may structure a little more, but the questions come as a matter of a conversation uh, for like native uh, speakers. When it comes to Latin players, they know they have to structure more of a question and maybe they little do follow-up questions, right? Um, they also, I've noticed from time to time that they try to keep their um, the, the questions more concise and open-ended in a way so the player the Latin player can like develop which at times you know it plays against them because the players go with simply you know yes I feel great uh, yeah this is good and maybe that's not what they wanted to get to so yeah I think it is it also it is something it's a benefit for 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 them the fact that they can rely on a translator um, and also to understand the cultural cues that maybe they're not aware of, meaning like, is it a good time? Like, can we talk? Do you think he's, he'll be happy to talk about it? Whereas with an American player, they have the direct connection and be like, hey, can we talk? Or is it a good time? Like Things like that. So sports reporters sometimes um, get some heat because uh, the questions that they ask um, – you know, it's like, how did you feel about that win? I feel great. How did you feel about that loss? I don't feel good. You know, like it's a lot of times people say, oh, those, those questions aren't good. Um, I'm curious, what's the the best question that you remember a reporter asking? And then what's the worst question that you remember a reporter asking? 
I think the worst question is every time a reporter asks a follow-up question that has been asked before, mm-hmm. um, I think it shows that there's not enough care for the player and both for your coworkers, you know, you, the other people from the media, because I understand maybe that's a question you had, you know, worked or previously um, prepared for that interview. But I think it's as, as important as your question is, it's important the question that other people do. And I think you get, you can get a lot of more, you know, wealth and, and, and texture from questions when you kind of build up from those questions and the answer that the player gives. So I think every time that happens within myself, I'm like, you're wasting that opportunity to to get to know more of the player. Believe me, they're willing to to engage in meaningful conversations. They're willing to expose who they are. You know, I think in the current times, how things have changed and players understanding the roles and the platform that they, that they have, they want to talk about the things that they really care about, the things that they really feel are genuine and important to them, right? Yeah, winning games is important to them. It's very important. The chemistry of the team is really important. But when you ask that every single interview, it, it gets old real quick, for, for real quickly for players. And I think the best the best answer I got was in 2019, Jose Ramirez was having a, a difficult first half of the year. When he returns, he was helping the team and, and he was kind of like leading that comeback that the team was heading. And then he got injured. And, and but he was pain through pain for a couple of weeks before the injury broke, which was like breaking his hamate bone in his hand. Um, he had a speed of recovery, kind of like close to record times. And as soon as he came back, the first game he hit two home runs from each side of the plate. Um, in that press conference, the first thing he, he said, like, I, I think it hurt me more not helping my team than all the pain that he went to the surgery. And, and I was I was with him doing that process and the surgery and the recovery in New York. And I, it was very painful. It was really hard. He was through a lot of pain. And so that shows a little bit of like how, how, how much these guys love the game and how much he passionately cares about his team and wanting to help. So I think that for me, that was an epic moment because I felt it was kind of like a, an answer built on the making for a couple of months. How do you feel like the league can continue supporting international players? I mean, obviously getting translators into the clubhouse is a, is a big step. Um, what else do you think uh, needs to be done? Like if you were commissioner, you know, if you were in charge for um, for a year, what would you do? Um, I think the, the, this, the uh, this is always in my, always in my opinion, um, but I feel like changing the incentive um, to for the players to play the game at an early age. You know, unfortunately, there's a lot of... The market for players has changed dramatically where a lot of players just play the game. Um, you know, the, the first incentive is the money and is the reward you get and not necessarily um, the education and the process that you can get to do that, right? Like, yeah, they're going to be the stars. You know, the four or five players are going to become undoubt, um uh, stars in the future and you know gonna make the living and the life is gonna be set for life but for those guys when they come up they play with another 37 players that were part of the roster and they were part as, as, as important part of the formation as they are uh, the coaches and the managers but not many of those players have the same luck not many of those players get the big signing bonus they don't get the big support and many of them struggle after the game so I feel I'm not saying to radicalize change the system where Nobody gets paid or nobody gets a big signing bonus. I'm all for it. People getting rewarded for the right skills. 
but also make it a system that you can assist the ones who maybe at the time they don't receive as much of a signing bonus with, you know, trading schools and, and any type of training that are going to guarantee a better life after baseball. Um, one thing that really is always back in my mind from the 40 players that were in my team at some point, you know, part of a team A or team B for the Yankees, I think only two went to college after baseball and only two made it to the major league. So, yeah. It's amazing to have a Latin superstar that comes and set all the records, but it comes at what price, right? At a price that, you know, and and, and maybe the same happened after me and after me and years, years after. Those are guys who dedicate the best time of their year or their life, you know, that young when they're supposed to start going to college or anything like that, because it's hard. It's hard to go back to school after after you, you know, your chronological time, like it was for me, like there was a, I had a clear goal, but still, uh, that, doesn't, that didn't make it any easier when you, I was going to school, still being 24, 25 and working on, on the side. So I think that's one of the best ways that the game can change in terms of uh, bringing more people in and helping more people, not only on the baseball side, but also the, the life after baseball. Yeah. I hear that a lot about um, professional sports in general like making sure that athletes are set up for success after they're done with the game. One thing, one thing I keep in mind and keep reminding myself, these guys are outliers, right? They are performers that perform out of the norm. Um, and, and, and those skills apply to baseball. Expect them to be also outliers when it comes down to money management and financial budgeting. But, but it's difficult. It's difficult to, to be that disciplined. And especially when you, when you sacrifice too much in terms of like you sacrifice your family time, you sacrifice your friends time and you give up your, your public life for being, you know, a, a public person, a private life for being a public person. Maybe I might justify it. I'm not saying that they should get the brand new car every single year. No, but um, if they need to, if they, if they need to spend more time with family and that means, you know, renting a private jet, maybe sometimes that's, I mean, it will it is it, a matter of being on their shoes a little bit and understanding the reality of being away from family and friends for for years and and, and not being able to spend time with them is is important to keep in mind yeah yeah um just uh one 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 or two more questions just because we're talking about the uh the Cleveland Indians so at the end of last year they announced that they're gonna um, drop the name right and and switch over how did I'm curious how did you feel about that? I think it was, you know, it took us all by surprise in a way, the way how it was, um, um, the, now, the, the news came around. But I think it's, it's, a, it's, a positive, it's a positive thing to do. It's the right thing to do. And, you know, when we, in this process of change and embracing, you know, what our, the community is, is, is saying and the, the need for change. Um, I'm obviously coming from a different country. It does a big part for a lot of players and even myself to learn, uh, you know, Indians have been a, an, icon, an iconic team for many years and for what they've done on the field, but also in off the field, all these like classic movies that we all are uh, familiar with. So, you know, coming from a different country, you do not make the connection. How is it that relate and how does that merge in a group of our, of our fellow community members? So, you know, now that we are more aware of the situation and the reality, I think it's the right time to, is the right thing to do. That was Augustine Rivero, team Spanish translator for the Cleveland Indians. And here he is in action one more time to close us out. 
en este año 2021 eh, esperemos volver a tener un año de total normalidad y, y volver a un poco lo que era el béisbol antes del COVID y seguir demostrando en el campo eh, lo que la organización tiene y lo que logra hacer con sus jugadores y que los jugadores jóvenes logren demostrar lo que ellos son capaces y, las hambre, y el hambre que tienen de ganar y de traer ese título a la ciudad de Cleveland. Uh, I just hope for this 2021 to to feel back the the same sensations that we had of baseball previous pre-COVID, um, you know, to get some sense of normalcy. And obviously, I'm excited to 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 see the organization keep doing what what we do, which is develop our players to the best potential. And especially, I'm rooting for the young guys to to show their their the hunger and the eagerness to win and bring that World Series title to the city of Cleveland. And with that, we've wrapped up our four-part opening day series. For all the baseball fans out there, I hope you enjoyed meeting people besides the players around the league. And for those who, you know, couldn't care less about the sport, well, I hope you at least found the communication side of all of this interesting, if you've made it this far. For our next episode, we'll be discussing a topic that's actually not too far from the one we discussed today. We'll be talking about something called linguistic profiling, which is analyzing the way someone talks to make judgments about them, and how it's used to discriminate against people, including Black and Asian American people. It's something that, for me, hits home personally, and I don't think you'll want to miss it. So, as always, this has been your host, Winston Chang. Until next time. <laughs>